Hello, and welcome to Local Legends. I'm Chi, outdoor fitness coach, and I am your host. Local Legends is a conversation with passionate cyclists who impact riding in Southern California, and specifically, San Diego. Here comes my next local legend. Hi, everyone. I had so much fun with this interview with Jim. I'm a big supporter of bike skills, namely dirt skills. I have learned a lot about riding technical trails over the last 10 years with great riders as teachers and various terrain. My favorite being Demo Forest in Santa Cruz. As a BICP and USA Cycling Coach, it's something I also help others with, both with gravel and mountain biking. And I continue to work on my own skills to keep me on my toes, because if you don't practice, your skills get rough. Improving my skills also helps me with flow and efficiency and also to help enjoy some of my favorite trails in town, which happen to be both technical up and down. Okay, back to Jim. So I learned about Jim while I was riding in Lasardi, a set of trails roughly between Hodges and Black Mountain. A young boy was ripping it when I commented on his skills and he told me he had a jumping coach. What? Wait, who, what, where? This is awesome, I thought. So I reached out to Jim and we instantly started talking and sharing stories. I felt like I met my twin. Jim's a, Jim is a skills coach and has focused mostly on jumping. Or I should say his clients come to him wanting to learn how to jump, jump properly. But that's not all he teaches. His business is Del, Del Surder and he's able to lead his clients through a series of trails which he manages that are progressively harder and jumps that are progressively bigger and steeper. It's a playground for skills including cornering, descending, and jumping, and gap jumping. Jim sees almost 50 riders per week that range from 5 to 65, both male and female. We had such a great time meeting and doing this interview. In the spirit of riding with my guests, which I try to do to get the feel of a person, he showed me his trail network, the jumps, the berms he uses to teach his clients. We did some techie climbs and descents, and it was fun to follow his line and get coached by a skilled coach. We talked about coaching, his journey, and honestly about life and our love for riding. And then we recorded this interview. Listeners, Jim is such a cool guy and super fun to talk to and has a great way of expressing skills that made it fun and easy to dig deeper into this part of riding that I've touched on on previous guests. He is an amazing coach, a great person, and passionate about riding bikes. Enjoy my next local legend. Here we are. Welcome to Local Legends. I'm with Jim Bradford. Thank you for being my guest today. It's been a pleasure and we had a great ride to start. We did. I don't even know where to start. So, so I would love to know more about your story. Uh, why don't you start by saying like what you do for your coaching? And I, I like to say um, kind of community advocate as well. So okay. Delser Dirt is my business okay. and it's just me. Um, and I coach mountain biking skills and it's been a journey for me over the last two years. And, you know, full disclosure, as you know, I've only been riding bikes for three years in August. Took a, about a 25 year break from riding and realized that San Diego is probably one of the best things to do. So I just started riding um, after retiring from a contracting career, um, took a year off and was deciding what I wanted to do. So that was my window to start riding again because I don't really go into things as you probably figured out with one toe in the water. Yeah. I kind of jump in. Yeah. So I knew riding was going to be really important to me. So I just started off. I bought a Yeti SB 130 in August of 2019, started riding and my children had done a Sprockids uh, clinic okay. and after school program with Sean Bascom, who I think yeah. should also be one of your uh, um, interviewer, interviewees. And um, I just fell in love with riding. And so 
Um, when I was trying to figure out how I was going to coach, I kind of realized through Sprout Kids, I thought, okay, well, I'll do Sprout Kids and I'll be okay. a, a coach for them wow. in some capacity. So after about four months of riding, I decided I wanted to get a BICP certification. That's okay. the Bicycle Instruction Certification Program. So I did their level one with very little riding experience as an adult. Uh -huh. And the bikes are so different now. My last bike was a 1992 Rocky Mountain full rigid um, I think it was called a blizzard. Okay. Love that bike, but I sold it to go to Ecuador kayaking. Okay. As a, a river guide then, and, and just I didn't. For context: ninety-two. You were twenty. Yeah, twenty-two. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you're a kid. Yeah, I was super young, and um, so from there, once I started riding bikes and got my certification, thought, well, I'll hang a shingle and I'll see what I can do. If I can work ten to fifteen hours a week as a mountain bike coach, I can really focus on my family. My wife's job is primary. And next thing I know, COVID hits. Yeah. Two weeks before I was going to open my doors. And I was like, oh no, what have I done? I've just embarked on this whole journey. It's all getting shut down and none of us knew where it was going to go. And fast forward a few months, everybody got a bike and a puppy. Yeah. So in our neighborhood, I'd been building trails at the same time concurrently, which we just rode yeah. and opening and, and tuning up some trails that were already there. And that sort of became my passion. So I found myself at four o'clock in the morning with a headlamp on and a McLeod tool in my hand, cultivating trails that I wanted to ride. Cause even early on, I decided I was riding Lusari. I was riding these, what I call as affectionately dog pooping trails. <laughs> yeah. um, well. They just walk your dog and get him to poop and then yeah. go home. They weren't engaging for a mountain bike. So I wanted to create terrain. And as a contractor, I've never hesitated from building things. So I just started figuring it out. And that kind of generated some notoriety and a little bit of recognition within the community. And people were really stoked on the stuff that we were building. And another um, riding partner and one of my best friends was doing it with me. We were building a bunch of stuff in Coyote Canyon and ended up building some larger jumps and have continued to go with that. So people might be going, where is this Del Sur thing? So can, what's your best way of explaining this Coyote Canyon? Is squashed between like which trails? I'd say, well, it's, it's off Lusardi, okay. the Lusardi Loop, which is um, east of Rancho Santa Fe, mm -hmm. uh, west of Rancho Bernardo, near 4S Ranch. So Del Sur is a little pocket. Um, yeah. It's in Poway School District. So it's a really robust, like 3,000 home subdivision, but there are a lot of canyons. Yeah, and so there are a bunch of existing trails that were there. Um, and we have a kind of embarrassment of riches suddenly <laughs> where we can access a bunch of different things. There's a beautiful jump line that's mm -hmm. at the base of Black Mountain that we utilize a lot. Um, Grenade tra Trail, which we rode. Mm -hmm. Some of it's on trail forks and is sanctioned, some of it isn't. So mm -hmm. don't want to get too deep into that. Okay. But, but we have um, most of the stuff that we've built here is designed around progression. That's what I was going to ask. Like, yeah. how did you build a trip? You built them for yourself first, right? Or did yeah, you build yeah. I, I built things. Yeah, it was kids in mind and adult riders because there are a lot of people that get really stuck as intermediates mm -hmm. and they just don't have terrain that's either it's not accessible because it's too hard or it's too easy and they just don't learn to ride faster. Yeah. So I think everybody, thing I've learned with coaching, everybody needs something to get better at. Yeah progression is just the magic sauce in life. Yeah. And so I wanted to build things that were focused on progression that gave people a place to go. And that's really been the focus the whole time. And I guess I sort of tripped and fell 
<laughs> on on a good thing. And it's not, okay, I want this berm to go here and there and I would flag it and then walk it and then flag it again and move things around and then start digging. But I didn't trace any radii or come in with a, a line. I just sort of felt through it. Okay. And one of the neat things about building in the dark, and if anyone has an issue with any trail that I built, I can always go back to it was built in the dark. <laughs> So that's the best Braille. I could do. Yeah, it was built by Braille. So that's the best I could do. But what it allowed me to do, strangely, is focus on that beam of light, right? And, yeah. I, and, and I could do kind of one piece at a time. And in the daylight, I'd kind of flag it and walk through it. But you get so focused on maximizing that one piece of the trail that that berm would be great. And then the next one would be great. And the next one would be great. And then they tend to kind of weave together. Mm -hmm. But it has so much to do with intention. Right. Like mm -hmm. my intention was to create that progression where it's accessible to most people, even though there's some steepness, as you saw, to some of the, mm -hmm. the trails, um, you can ride it slowly mm -hmm. and survive. And as we, we talked about, I'm not really a fan of just not dying. Yeah, that's not my goal. My goal is, you know, kind of perfection in technique and present it that way and, and try to achieve that really high level. But the people can ride it with just not dying. Yeah. is very important too so that they can kind of get a taste for it without needing to you know do a 12-foot rock drop how do you undo people's fear of not dying approach put them on terrain that they can manage where speed is the component that makes the change oh. right so we just rode beeline mm -hmm. um our kind of little bmx line there is so much progression that happens mm -hmm. there because you're working on braking footwork body lean pressure on your hands, sensation through your hands and feet where you're looking and you're doing all that. And then the ingredient that you change is speed. Mm -hmm. So once you get all the mechanics down and I tell every client when we work there, I don't care how fast you're going. And like when we talked, I really want them understanding they don't need to impress me. Yeah. Don't, sh don't show me what you got. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to really work on those body mechanics and isolate them, yeah. get the body mechanics down. Now we can add speed and incorporate our braking. And you can build those things up through progression and through a sequence of um, body motions that you can you can manage and that you can learn. So yeah. then we're training that, our lizard brain to automate those processes as we go through each each um, body movement. Yeah, and so what, who are your, let me step back a second. Um, so you mentioned uh, adults and kids, like every week on average, how many people do you see? Probably 40 to 60. Uh, and you see um, some of them is one-on-one -on -one and some of yep. them is in a small group. Yeah, so the small groups that I've set up, I, I started off working pretty much in individually. Mm -hmm. um, I do groups where it was two, two kids and I would tell the parents really concretely, the second it's not productive to coach them one-on-one, -on -one, I've gotten no dog in the fight of creating work for myself. It's all about what does that rider need? And I started off with Delser Dirt with that as the underpinning idea of all of it is yeah. that I do what's best for every rider in every situation. And if it's doing once a week or it's doing once a month, if it's these two riders together, if that's better for them, I want them together. If it's not, then I want them separated. Okay. And so I um, appreciate that. Yeah. And I started off with kids that were two to three years divergent, but since we were building their skills at the same time, they've been able to track together. Then once I had a kind of a, a groundswell of kids, it was a lot of tweens, kind of nine to 11 or 12 okay. years old. Um, I had so many that I've 
grouped them into like a travel ball team okay. where I, as you know, I manage them through team snaps. So I have it's 40 to 50, depending how you look at it with siblings and whatnot that are fully expert riders. They can tabletop, they can whip, they can do a 20 foot gap jump what? and they ride downhill like it's nothing. So they can ride black mountain full tilt as we like to say, mock chicken. Um, <laughs> And so what I found was I like, well, I got to keep these kids together in the stoke that they have mm. when they're riding together, mainly jumping. They want to yeah. go to the jump line all the time. It's if it's pedally, I get way fewer that come. And so as I shared with you before, they're on more of a subscription model where mm. I have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday afternoons. I have those 40 kids and of those 40, I might get 18 mm -hmm. literally at the jump line, which I can manage because it's a fixed course. Or I might get if it's really pedally, there might only be four that show up uh, on that given day. So I try and temper my rides because I do want to cultivate not only the downhill aspect of the sport, yeah. but climbing, which as you know, I don't really focus on the fitness side, which I thought I would. Yeah. When I started Del Surger, I thought it would be okay. I'm going to have kind of a training angle to it, a skills angle to it. I've been so overwhelmed with the desire and the clientele for just skills work that that has ended up being my silo for now. Yeah. Um, and that cross-pollination with NICA hasn't really been as robust as I envisioned. We have a really great NICA team and they're handling that beautifully at Del Norte High School. But I thought I would have more to do with it, but I just don't have time. And um, I'm hoping over the ensuing years that I'll have some time to do skills coaching with them. But they're doing a great program at Del Norte High School. Yeah. Okay. So you see all these kids, you have pockets, they call them the little traveling team which is really cool. I had a thought about that, but so do you mostly see boys or is it like, or, and then when do the, how do the parents appear? Like not the parents, but the uh, adults. So a lot of the adults were just, they're riding mates of mine to, oh, get, okay. to get started. And now um, my reputation, I think as a jumping coach oh. has kind of spread a little bit further um, oh, okay. outside the community. I've got riders from Chula Vista that are seeing me, oh. riders from Carlsbad. San Marcos, Escondido, um, and there aren't a lot of people that teach jumping well. The clinic format is out there, but one-on-one -on -one is the gold standard. Yeah. Is I think you and I agree. If you yeah. want to get better, if you want a social outlet, do a clinic. If you want to learn something, do one-on-one, -on -one. or I do focus clinics with up to four riders, where like a jumping clinic to do the fundamentals. I'll bring four mm -hmm. riders in and say, hey, you get a group together. Um, we'll get it scheduled for a two-hour fundamentals of jumping clinic that we do in the park on um, MTB hopper ramps. And I have a, a plastic landing set that I can really oh. build exactly how I want it. It's like Legos. Oh. So it's a, um, a land wave system. And so I'll build that in the park. So we have a really controlled environment okay. where we can coach, um, you know, that recipe of a fixed speed. And then we can just work on cultivating that technique yeah. with a given feature it, and we can change it. So I can move the gap out a little bit or make it tighter depending on how well the group is yeah. doing. But really at the end of the day, I am a firm believer that if you want to progress one-on-one -on -one is, is the most efficient and effective way to go from a yeah. financial perspective and a time use, which for a lot of the people that I see, like the, the cost isn't really an issue. I see most of my riders once a week. Okay. And, and how long are your sessions? Like an hour? An hour. Usually one hour. When I do a clinic or if it's a first jumping training with a client, if I think they're capable of managing the mental part of it for two hours, I'm okay with it. And with jumping, I can do really efficient work okay. in two hours. 
and really get them a more solid base than I can in one hour. Sometimes one hour is a little bit short because I'll do a little fundamentals crash course mm -hmm. if they're a more advanced rider because they don't necessarily know the three essentials of looking ahead, covering your brakes, level pedals, and the ramifications of those. So I try and cram that into about 15 or 20 minutes because they're all smart. These aren't, it's not rocket science, but it does take some cultivation. So when they leave my goal in every session, whether it's a two hour jump clinic or one hour session for an advanced rider and it's session number 62 that I've done with a rider, whatever we worked on, I want you to leave that session I've done my job, you can self-coach whatever it is we worked on. Oh. And that's my kind of underpinning rule that I try to observe every time I'm with a rider is that, okay, can you go self-coach what we worked on today? Is the expectation is that not only that, but that they go and practice again before they see Yes. <laughs> yes. And if then, they want to progress, that's, that's the thing. Right. And then like, um, and then what do you hope that they do like one more time that week? I, I have a rider probably, one of the greatest beacons of light I have as a rider is um, a gal named Becky. I'll say her last name, but she's 64. I coach her 21 year old son and she has got the bit in her teeth oh. and she loves jumping. Oh. She started out with me just wanting to do some cornering and ride kind of vertical changes in the trail a little better rollers and just thought, okay, I'm going to kind of tiptoe into this. Well, eight months later, we work once a week on jumping and she'll spend five to six hours a week just jumping at the same spot. And she just gets so much joy from it that it's so inspiring. It just makes me want, just makes me want to coach. Every time I see her, it's just like, this is the dream. The motivated client that is somebody that is so bit down on the idea of progression. And the key with it is she's going at her pace. Yeah. And we've been working on jumping pretty exclusively for about five months and we work once a week and every time there are revelations in their advances. And at, when we're older, we can't take falls, <laughs> right? My, my, my job is to preserve your health and to make you better. And we just go at whatever pace matches that rider. Um, that being said, one of the things we didn't talk about is there are three things that I tell every rider, whether it's a five-year-old or a 55-year-old, there are three things I assume about you when you come to see me. Yeah. You want to ride fast, you want to have fun, and you want to be safe in that order. Okay. <laughs> not safety first. No, safety third. <laughs> and there's actually a, a headset cap that says safety third. Okay. And I didn't create it. It's on this great website. And so I'm going to get one of those okay. because I really believe that. If you're not, and I'm gender inclusive, so... If you're not doing the first two, you're riding like a grandpa, yeah. <laughs> not a grandma. Grandma rips. Grandpa doesn't rip. So, <laughs> right? If you're not riding fast and you're not having fun, you're already riding safe. So let's let's open the throttle and figure figure it out through progression. And so that's the part that's been really um, surprising. I thought there would be more crashes. With little kids, there are some, but one of the things I spend a lot of time on early in the process with riders is identifying the difference between risk and consequence. So we saw the jump Megatron. I use that as an example where they ask kids a lot. They see that jump, like how many times do you think I've hit that? They're like 20. I'm like, no, 600. They're like, what? Blows their mind. I'm old. I've been around a while, right? And it's a 20 foot gap jump and they see it. It's really impressive. And I say my risk is low because I practice it. I know what speed I need to go at. I know the technique I need to use. 
and I'm always current. I'm always riding my bike. So my risk is very low. Now the consequence that's waiting for me at the other side is the same as it is for you, but I've got to be pretty sure I don't crash. And that involves building up your instincts so that you can trust your instinct. Jumping is very different because you have such a fixed window mm -hmm. that you have to make decisions and it's based on cultivating skill and it takes not hundreds, it takes thousands mm -hmm. of jumps to get good at that. And if that's a priority for you, you will get good at it. It just takes time. Um, so, and you said, you don't, not a lot of people fall because you are working on progression. Is there ever a time where you think a, a rider can jump something or clear something and they don't think they can or, or, and, and how, because, or is it because that, seen... that's a great question. And I'm very strange. And I may be wrong. I think there's a little bit of a perception that we talked about this, that maybe I'm a little reckless because you see these kids that I'm working with and you don't see the process. You just see what they can do now. And you see the stuff that you saw big 28 foot gap jump that we built yeah. that we're jumping that, And they're like, okay, that's terrifying. And you'd be crazy to do that. Well, no, if you built the technique and you've gone through the process and you've thought through it and done it with intention, um, you can, you can manage that risk pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And, but you do have to be willing to bear the consequence to answer the question about my clients. Um, I usually with kids, I'm very uh, reluctant to let them bear Self. very much risk because okay. they have, remember we talked about men and women and the fact that with women, what I've observed is the skills build up and then the judgment catches up with males. Oftentimes, the confidence, the, the confidence goes a little too early and yeah. they have a lot of setbacks. So you, you want to build the skills first and then let the confidence and judgment follow. Yeah. It so, seems like the guys is kind of easier because they already want to do it. They, they're excited and then yeah. they have to just, okay, let me just show you how to do it. If you already have the skills and you're afraid, how do you teach that? Just practice, practice, practice. Yeah, it's practice. And then creating one of the things that I love about the jump line that we have available to us is it's got, um, again, another progression. There are three really big jumps that we use for tricking and that I ride with my um, really gnarly riders. Mm -hmm. And they're doing things like suicide no-handers and tabletops and whips and one-handers and seat grabs and pretty high level jumping technique. Um, and then at the bottom of that jump line are four tabletops that are, you don't get more than eight inches off the ground. Yeah. But the perception is still there that you're jumping and you have to conquer those same fears, but you're doing it in a place where um, the risk seems artificially high. Yeah. So that's so a really that's good spot to like, okay, just roll over these and then we can slowly start getting that rear wheel off the ground Got and coupling it. our sort of ground-based technique where we run through and do the body mo motions on flat ground, then you adapt that to the terrain, but it's very mild and the consequence profile is very low. Yeah. Um, and just in case people don't recognize, a gap jump is just, just what it sounds like. There's nothing below you, so if you don't clear it, you kind of get like, I don't know what the word is. But. It's a, the knuckle. So there's always a knuckle or there's a face that you're looking at. So yeah. it's like putting two opposing ramps without exactly. creating any land mass between them. And it is imperative that you get at least your front wheel over the knuckle 
And the neat oh, thing. If you don't get your back wheel, you'll just. Yeah, you you can you can survive. Okay. With getting you know your back wheel casing the jump a little bit, yeah. um, which means landing short. And I really believe in building that kind of perfect takeoff and then developing the landing skills concurrently, but a little bit separately. And so I do a lot of work with video. Okay. Um, so slow yeah. motion video and I show them examples on video. I can, we did it in the Canyon today. Yeah. I hit the jump once and said, okay, well, here's the technique that we talked about. Now watch me do it. You probably didn't learn a damn thing. <laughs> right. He said, okay, you stood up. Cause we talked about the idea my whole concept of jumping is your front wheel stays on flight path and you shoot a free throw as, as yeah, that's yeah, happening yeah. and you're using your body position to command that front wheel in the air. Um, and that's a whole process, but I found slow motion video, even five-year-olds can conceptualize that, oh, that's a human being. Here's what they're doing. I see where they are on the jump. That's the jump. And I usually show them a video of me on the jump that they're on. Okay. And then I show them video of them on successive During runs. During this one hour session, yeah. you guys are able Yeah, we're to... doing full video breakdown and these little kids, five-year-olds, they adapt and make a change every single rep. Wow. It is mind blowing. And you, that's all you're doing, you're just showing them the video. Yep. And know. then I show them the example, show them what they're doing. We discuss what they should be feeling, right? Remember you and I talked yeah. about that whole idea of what you're seeing is reading the trail, like those three essentials that, um, looking ahead is a proxy for reading the trail. Yeah. Covering your brakes is a proxy for speed control. Level pedals is that proxy for staying balanced on the bike and staying in the center of the bike. And so we kind of utilize those things and we've already cultivated those skills before we jump. So they can adapt and understand the language that we're using. And that's really important is that um, each rider, whether it's an adult or a child, I do everybody, if Kyle straight, Red Bull Rampage winner, he would never come to see me and coach him. But if he did, I'd say, okay, Kyle, we're going to the park so for one hour. And we're going to talk about really it's here's the language that I use. This is what it describes so that we're communicating well. And it really sets the base for everything that we do from the most basic, you know, just leaning into a turn to really advanced jumping technique. And all of it is based on these really simple principles. And I think that they're really easy to understand. And I'm always, try to make very clear um, that they should never just keep going if they don't understand something we're talking about. There's oh. no dumb question. Like if something I'm talking about is not resonating for you, let's find a way that it does. Can let me deal with five-year-olds. They're amazing. <laughs> I just had one now that I just built a bike for what my five-year-old Griffin that his stated goal is to ride Red Bull Rampage, speaking of Kyle Strait. Yeah. So he wants to ride Red Bull Rampage. He's five. And you know what? He's probably going to get there. He's gnarly. Well, random question. So when you watch the Rampage every yeah. year, have you gone to it? No. And hey, Kyle, if you're listening, I'd love to dig. Okay. I would love to dig. I, don't, I think I might be too old. Like I might, I might not have the stamina. I probably would because I'd be so motivated. But um, it is absolutely terrifying. When you see what they're doing, we, we, well, I, I terrify just watching. Well, watching on video is one thing, but when you see some of these features in person, you're like, there's no way human beings can do that. And I haven't seen the Red Bull site, but in Bend, Oregon, where we go for the summer, mm -hmm. some of the training jumps that these guys use are there. And I'm fairly intrepid and, um, pretty accomplished jumping for a 52 year old has been riding for three years, but 
I look at some of this stuff and I'm like, never. Okay. Even even in my 20s, I, I don't know. Um, if I would, would be doing some of these jumps, they are so big and they're backflipping them and doing things on the bike that it's absolutely um, beyond comprehension that they can do it. It's, it's, it doesn't seem humanly possible. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So I, let's, I want to like put a tack on that. Cause I want to go back to that. So you said you're dealing with riders from five to 55, 65, and you have some really advanced riders. Yep. Where are they competing at? So I don't have, there, there oh, are some of my younger they? riders are competing in enduro okay. because my, my, I, I have kind of let my interests and my riders interests direct what where my coaching has gone and it really has come to rest on downhill skill enduro riding and jumping and within that it's cornering it's braking it's all the things to do with riding but not a lot we don't really have a dog in the fight of being strong at climbing in fact most of my youth riders oh, are like yeah. we'll climb yeah. but Just, we're gonna we're gonna complain about it we're and then, so we can go yeah, down. yeah so we can go down um, and so that part of it is um, a little bit of a surprise. I thought I would be doing a little bit more cross-country type training with riders, like getting them ready for races, doing the Filthy 50, doing the Dirty 30, doing the like Hodges series. But what I found is these kids, they just want to ride for fun. Yeah. And like wow. we talked about when we were on the trail, um, I'm very conscious of my own competitiveness and that it's both a positive and negative. It's, I think, one of my strongest assets, and I think it's one of my biggest weaknesses, because it's really, with what we're doing, it's dangerous. And especially when we get into jumping, I've told you I've tried to wring out any competition with my youth riders that are really mostly from, I'd say seven to 14, but really the core of them are 10 to 12. Um, that happens to be the ages of my kids. So I know a oh, lot of okay. kids in that age group and it's really a great time for them to start anchoring great mountain bike skills because they're strong enough. They can conceptualize the way they need to, to really mm -hmm. be good at riding. But I've tried to really wring the competitiveness out of it and say, Hey, you focus on you. Cause I don't want that downside and that, that negative part of confidence to creep into that group and so anytime better and worse that uh -huh. his whip was so much better than yours or his no. whip was oh that wasn't very good i want them supporting each other and i want each of those kids i say hey one of the things i say all the time is you do you mm -hmm. and you need to be progressing each time and you know they they always want everybody to be watching oh did you see my table and that is a hallmark of those agents they're very self-interested and kind of introvert in a way mm -hmm. where everything reflects through their lens. And so I'm trying to keep them from having that be too destructive or just not supportive of all of the whole community. And so um, that's part of the ethos of Del Sur Dirt. Um, it's it, instruction, training, community. Those are kind of my three things. And the community part I found is so critically important. And that works through my, I do uh, just, group rides casual they're not through else or dirt there happen to be a lot of my clients that join us but we ride every wednesday and friday morning and that we're reliable and we do that as um i guess it, more of a tradition and we just keep that going and we cultivate that um culture where hey we all show up and we're doing 5 30 in the morning we're putting lights on 5, 5 30 a.m because that's our window of opportunity when like our families aren't up yet. 5.30, And then we ride for a couple hours. And so we ride grenade. We'll go do an enduro, a couple enduro laps. And then we come back and 
we're 10 year olds trapped in 50 year old <laughs> bodies. What I found is the, the joy that we all find from riding. One of the other things that I didn't see coming was how influential jumping training, jump training is for adults. Some of my riders had been riding for a decade before we met and they're the poster children for the joy of jumping. Like it has completely changed their trajectory, not just jumping as its own enterprise, mm -hmm. but what being able to jump has done oh, for the joy. Oh my gosh, it translates to the trail yeah. in such an enormous way. And, you know, just the experiences that my clients have shared with me about how it's changed their riding trajectory is just mind blowing and so inspiring. I, and that's, and that is so cool. That is so cool. All of what you're saying. I think that's why I wanted to pin the whole rampage because and I can't, I'm trying to wrap my brain around my thoughts right now, but when you build skills, you're able to do a lot more and it brings so much more fun to your riding. At least I, that's my experience for myself. I mean, it's like, oh, now I can do this and trails from here, you go to another trail and you're like, oh, I know how to downhill from this because I used to ride Noble and it's like, the, you know, like they translate. What I'm getting to is when they get to such a level, then you're dealing with, a whole different gamut of skills and mindset like or is it the same well and what's available to you so the thing that i didn't foresee i knew i'd be jumping to some level and i'd been to ted's a little bit as i told you a little prematurely when i started <laughs> riding my third ride was at uh at ted williams and it was a humbling experience but i bit down and i i really um embraced the opportunity yeah i probably rode a little harder than i i should have been at that point but the thing that i found with jumping is um, most riders have no idea the trajectory that that's going to create for them. Right. And so when we just start, it's innocent. It's kind of like one of those things. It's innocent enough. We're just doing a little jumping. We want to be able to hit this tiny jump. And the next thing you know, that rider's looking at Megatron and that's 20 foot gap jump. And that still is like a massive milestone for most riders to hit that. And so having these aspirational features is also really important. Um, so going to Snow Summit, riding party wave you can ride party wave with all lowercase letters or you can ride it with capital letters for sure so you're hitting the tombstone sending 30 feet throwing a sick trick in the air the stoke level is like mind-boggling you just can't imagine the joy it's just like oh my god did i is that me did i just do that right yeah. and so that may be that may be your high water mark yeah you know i'll see i watch videos and i tell kids this is the, one of the coolest things about riding and that was a little bit um i'm pretty proud that i saw this early on in the training that i did with kids is and i saw this as an athlete as a football player like the football field was my canvas the training that i do in practice i was that dork even through college i was the starter there was no question about that i was a hundred percent every practice you know it was wednesday it's finals week or whatever and they're like come on dude really I was a wide receiver, so the defensive backs are like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> We're flat out. It's game time. But that's the only way I knew how to cultivate the skills I needed was going at the same speed I was going to go on game day. Mm -hmm. And so that pacing had to be there for me. But what that did was I built that paintbrush in those drills and through that practice. That's how I built my paintbrush to go out and express myself on the field. And I had these split second moments that I had to perform over a three hour game. If you boiled down those, the time I had to perform, if I was gonna be world-class and catch six passes per game, that was 
three seconds of concentration or it was total failure. So I had three seconds that I had to perform and I had to do all the other things intervening, right? But that moment of catching the football and being in the right place, I had these limited opportunities. So I was going to build all those tools that I needed to get there. And the only way I knew how to do it was to pin it, right? And so with these, the kids, what I told them very early on, which was a, a little bit um, stronger foresight than I thought I possessed was, hey guys, what we're doing when we're doing this jumping, it all seems like we're on a tiny jump and we're working on unweighting at the right time. But what we're doing is we're, we're building your paintbrush and we're building your set of tools for you to express yourself later. Kyle Strait, Carson Storch, Cam McCall, all these guys, um, Dylan Stark, newer rider to the scene, Logan Pete, all these guys that do slope style, um, Emil Johansson, they all have done tens of thousands of jumps and they've done all the training, but the intensity and intention in their training is what makes them great. And so with the kiddos really focusing on, hey, you guys, all these little skills that they don't seem that outlandish, you're not doing anything with them yet. They're not sexy, but they're not sexy. That's exactly right. They're not, these aren't sexy, but what you're going to be able to do with them down the road is you'll be able to express yourself. And these kids have exploded. I love it. In in expressing themselves. You answered my question without, I I didn't even know how to ask it, but that's, that's it. You building their toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) They're paint. Similar, (laughs) similar. Keep your teeth clean. Hygiene is important, but it is, it is mind boggling. Cause when I was saying that, I was like, most of the kids that I was saying that to, I had no idea if I would see them next week Aww. or what they were going to do with this. I knew the kids and I didn't huh. necessarily know their mentality. Um, and intensity isn't always visible. Absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. So it's, I knew my intensity was very visible when I, I did my things as a kid, but they were very traditional sports. Yeah. So you're just that try hard kid. Yeah. It just was gritty and tough and just put your nose into it, curled yourself in hundred percent. That's very visible. And that's easy to make coaches love you. Riding a bike, it's, it's a little different. Like, what do you do? Crash a lot? Yeah. <laughs> How do I show my coach I'm really engaged? Do I, do I just yeah. hurl myself or crash a lot? Well, no, that's not really what I'm asking you to do. So slowly and quietly, I've watched them cultivate their skills and I've encouraged them, said, hey, if you're going to watch YouTube and you're going to rock your brain, watch biking videos. Yeah. See? <laughs> But the other thing is, it's not just aesthetic. Watch riders that you admire, but figure out what you admire. Do I think that looks fun or does it just look cool? And what do I care about? Like, I love Brandon Semenuk. Everyone does. Why wouldn't you? He's, I think, one of the best rider that, riders anyone's ever seen. And Brett Reeder, they compete slope style, but he was confident enough to be like, yeah, I'm not a contest monkey. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do creative endeavors and I'm going to create videos and be a content content creator. I'm going to race rally cars for Red Bull and just be gnarly. I'm going to be me and go out and do it. And the thing that I love about him is he's got this this combination of grace and power and absolute mastery of the physical movements um, that are required to do these tricks on a bike that are, I watch them and I don't even know what they're doing. Wow. But it's incredible. Like, I just don't know what, how do you get there? Huh. How do you do a double backflip with a double tail whip and a bar spin in the air? I, I have no idea, but I can watch it and say, that's awesome. <laughs> and, but the, the fact that they're pushing the sport and um, kind of creating a high watermark that seems unattainable, but it's still inspiring at the same time. 
Um, but that seeing kids develop and have the possibility yeah. of even a little bit of that. And I'm watching these kids and it's like, wow, great. As a coach, I can't wait till you're better than me. Uh, and, and so many of them already are. They're, they're already tricking, doing tricks that I can't do. And, but I can still coach them. Bill Belichick, coach the Patriots, he never played pro football. <laughs> so I figure I can keep coaching them as long as we connect. And as long as I can process what they're doing, I don't have to be able to do it. And do you just go back to the fundamentals that you like, you, you film on, you slow motion? Yeah. Like... yeah. And we talk about what you need to do with your body to achieve that next movement. Do they tell you stuff like, oh, I felt it here? And, yeah. I, and you're like, wow, okay. Yeah, like, that, that's like exactly Jedi what stuff. Yeah, it is. And, and so much of it, like you and I talked about and completely agree, is that that sensation that you're feeling through your hands and feet and through your body. You know, we, we talked about young kids. They always want to squat down when they jump. It's like, do you feel your hips moving or your knees moving? And they're like, uh-uh. <laughs> okay, we'll have them go on the bike and ride down a flat trail, move up and down. Okay, I want you pairing what's going on in your brain with how you're moving your body. And I want you to feel when you feel that happening. And then I want you to not do it. That's the hard part. <laughs> it's the getting them to not do it is really challenging. But there's always a path to get there. And if you are tuned in to your clients, I, I'm so interesting to me, the idea that I could not have my calendar and every day you could just, somebody could ring the doorbell and you could be like, okay, that's my next client. I could open the door, see their face and know exactly what I want to do with them today. Really? Yeah. Every week I know exactly what I want to do. And I could not even have thought about it, but based on what we did last week and knowing them really well, and number one, caring, like we talked about authenticity piece is absolutely critical to what we do. If you're not genuine and you don't hundred thousand percent care about what you're doing with your client, you're getting smoked out because it's what we do is too intense and, um, too intimate to not be a wholeheartedly engaged. And so that engagement really allows me to, as we said, trust your instincts as a coach. Yeah. And now I have enough sparring and enough hours, probably, like I said, coach 2000 hours in the last couple of years, yeah. maybe more. And so I really trust what I'm doing with my clients because I know I care about them and I want to be there and I'm motivated. And so it's really funny where the road goes, I didn't anticipate so much road as we talked about before. I thought when I started doing this, I'd coach somebody for four sessions, four one hour sessions. They'd fire me or I'd fire them say, okay, go on, you go ride. I'll do some other things and coach some other people and then come back when you figure out something else you want to work on. Okay. But what I found is that road just doesn't end. The more advanced rider I have, the more things I have to do. It's just, it's picking um, out whatever one of those 10 things I want to work on with them that day. And the more advanced the rider, the more things that I have in mind for them to do because they have access to so many more other subtle skills Yeah. that for me as a coach, that's developed over time. And that's not I something bet. I saw coming at I all. Bet. Is it more mental or physical or both at that point? It's both because the, the physical movements that we're doing on the bike, especially when you get into jumping, um, everybody wants to whip. Everybody wants to learn to tabletop and those are kind of good basic moves to learn. And they really require a tremendous understanding of how your body moves and not only in the form of sensation,
but also the physical demands of getting the bike to do what you're trying to do with it in the air yeah. and get your body to move into those positions. So it takes a buildup of different skills and a lot of thought outside of riding and watching video and really absorbing what those movements are. And I describe probably the closest analog to riding a bike as ballet. Yeah. Right. That can, it, I've, best description I've heard of ballet is it's just the art and the endeavor of moving every muscle in your body independently, like some awkward muscle in your shoulder, being able to move that in a very specific way while your ankle and your foot are doing this and your knees are doing that and your hips are doing that and your neck is doing this. So coordinating all those things, what we're doing on a bike is insanely complex and focused and the energy dynamics that are where our, our balance point is on the bike and what we're doing with our hands, our feet, and how that's pairing with sensation is incredibly complex. And I try to build it without a lot of contemplation. I do that part mm. <laughs> privately in my own quiet time, kind of contend with what those things are and how I want to present them to different riders. But in function as a coach, I want the movements to be really simple and broken down into Absolutely. pieces that we can eat and we can digest and say, okay, I want you to do this with your hand and just do that. Just do that with your hand, do that one piece. And it's not as simple as just like building something out of a foundation of one piece and the next piece and the next piece. You also have to have an understanding of how you need to generate that with each rider. Uh, I, I, that's amazing that you can do that. Um, I, I about, hope I do. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know I, that I do. You'll have to interview my clients so, to understand well, if I do it. And maybe I will one day, but I was thinking about like how if it's more mental, more physical, and you were kind of saying like just connecting all the dots like a ballerina you ever have a client who i mean i'm not going with it has a bad fall and then they second guess themselves because that must be the word the worst thing yeah and you will have setbacks like that i had one rider that um strangely was on a fantastic he really hurt his shoulder badly on grenade on that creek jump that we and sometimes people fall on stuff that's not yeah and and he was having a brilliant day just oh. like he was on, on fire, fire, just perfect. Uh -huh. He just clipped it. <laughs> okay. But he hadn't done a lot of gaps like that. Yeah. But we talked about it and he said, I, no, I want to try it today. And I said, great, let me tell you. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't think you need to. I know the recipe. I know what we're doing. Love right it. where okay. I dropped in, said, okay, you, you're, you're trail. So I went and videoed and he, as he took off, I think he saw the gap, panicked, oh. and then yanked and jumped and would have jumped off the pedals. But pulled the bike kind of over himself, pulled the rear wheel over, landed nose heavy and hit his shoulder and really injured his shoulder badly. And that's about the only bad incident I've had, but that was one of, I think it wasn't any function of mechanical skill or lack of mechanical skill. It was simply the lack of experience seeing that type of gap where the jump is there and then the trail just drops away from you five feet into water and you're jumping 14 feet over a creek. And it was just the lack of understanding of what that was going to be like that led to that. Yeah. So did he have a problem getting back on the bike and trying again? Like, no, he, he's, he's riding again. We haven't worked together in a little while because he's still, the shoulder is pretty gingerly. I think he tore his labrum. Um, and it was, a, it was a hard crash, but I haven't had a lot of those, but um, the kiddos, they were, they, bounce back really <laughs> They're well. rubber. Yeah. And they, um, they'll be timid for the rest of that session maybe. Oh. So we had, we went to Sky Park, uh, not Sunday before last. And these kids put on a clinic on the session jump. 
they That's were tabling right. and whipping and super hucking six feet off the ground, <laughs> flying 25 feet. The beer garden was just like, what is going on? These kids are nuts. <laughs> and it was so incredibly awesome and so gratifying to be like, oh my gosh, we are living the dream. These kids are having the best time of their life and I get to be involved in it. And it is an absolute gift. But we had a couple crashes. One of them was, we have a joke. We'll say capital last one. When we're jumping and we're tired or like, oh, we, all, we all have to go. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, one. okay, capital last one. And then we'll say, skip the last two. Because capital last one usually means three. Oh. <laughs> so, so we're like, okay, capital last one, skip the last two. So that means absolutely last jump. We're yeah. all tired. It's time to go home. It's 4.30. We've been riding all day. Very last jump when oh. the kids crash. And um, just a little skin knee. It wasn't a big deal. But two of them crashed that day. And um, that was kind of their swan song, but none of them were hurt. They're just yeah. like, okay, I'm done. I'm tired. Yeah. It's over. And they don't even remember it the next day. Oh. They just move on. Oh. Adults, they, they'll um, get a little sheepish if they have a, a near miss. And usually they'll pull it out with a banged up shin. Nobody over the bars, really. Um, and ironically, going over the bars is usually a function of being too far back. Just, is that just weird? Yeah, it's super strange. But one of the things that we talked about with jumping was that hip hinge and moving your hands away from your waist always moves the front wheel down. And what will happen, people don't realize when you're moving your weight back, you're doing that. So you're moving your weight back, but you're forcing the front wheel down. And so that's usually what causes people to go over the bars. And you're loading your weight onto the rear wheel, which guess what? It has to keep going up because it's still on the jump. Yeah, my, my so, brain, I, I, need like, I need like a little like doll and demonstration sometimes for the video does it even better yeah so when we watch video and watching slow-mo and breaking down the movements that that really helps riders so you know with that in mind that um with the crashes or the near misses with adult riders um it just takes a little bit of okay let's step back mm -hmm. let's go to a smaller jump let's rework your takeoff get your takeoff dialed again and i have riders that i've working with for a year year and a half and we have to go back and revisit Okay, now you're trying to whip and you're trying to tabletop. Okay, your takeoff's going to be the same. So they'll tend to hitch and they'll tend to start squatting back down oh, because now you're doing something else. Oh, okay. You're adding a spice. You're adding a little bar turn, a little shoulder movement. And then, okay, we got to walk it back and we got to get your takeoff back again because one, what do I need if I'm adding something new and another body movement? I need time, right? So... I don't want to short the jump. I don't want to short my takeoff because now I'm doing this other movement and I have less time. So you've got to keep your takeoff the same. So we don't want to change any of that when you're jumping. Once you start tricking, you want to keep your takeoff as I, similar. You say time, as you but whenever like I jump, it just seems like it's over the, before it starts. Those terrifying like, moments. What time? What time? Yeah. Like, well, it's interesting because when you look at it, I've done a, a, a few breakdowns of a landing sequence. I do this thing we call Frank and Boost, where you just pull your bars into your your okay, waist yeah. and you kind of hit your thighs with the bars in the air, and it shows control that you're centered on the bike and you're just moving the bike under you. And I figured out that in about a 10th of a second, I can move from bars on my thighs to a perfect matched landing in probably a 10th of a second or less. Wow. That is some serious. And it's not, I'm not special. That's just what bodies can do. Human beings can do. And so, but it does require building all those skills in advance so that you can do that. So a huge jump might be 1.2 seconds. 
God. Like a 20, 25 foot jump is 1.2 seconds. It's like, and you're done. Yeah. And that's a huge jump. So you're getting half a second, third of a second, three quarters of a second in the air on moderate jumps. And those are, those are decent jumps that would pucker most people. Uh, so, but my job is I don't want you to be puckered. So the thing is when we build these skills, I think the thing people aren't prepared for is how much practice that you need to do Absolutely. and how much training, um, you really, the focus training, like having, I'm that set of eyes. That's it. Like I'm, I, I like to think I'm very good at, at coaching and it's really connecting with people uh -huh. that I love and, um, but understanding the technique and really believing in what you're teaching is so important, but I can't just do one hour with you and say, okay, go off and do it you'll reinforce bad behavior. I, I sit yeah. at the jump line. Some days I will literally be there six hours. Wow. Client after client after client after client. And um, it's magic because everyone is different and I'm working on something different and I have to adapt a different strategy for every single rider that comes through. Yeah. And I absolutely love having to be mentally nimble. I'll be exhausted at the end of the day, but just so joyful that that's what I got to do. Wow. And, but I'll watch all these riders week in, week out, riding down that trail, expecting something different to happen, but using the same technique. And if they're not frustrated, great, then just use crappy technique, that's fine. But if you're not happy about it, change something. Come see me, go faster and crash, go slower and stand up and go over the bars, like do something, but don't keep doing the same movement over and over. And the problem that people have is they keep doing that and they're just reinforcing, as you know, as a coach, those body movements become ingrained. And all we're doing when we're riding is building instinct, training that lizard brain so that we can operate on instinct. Yeah. When, when, uh, when I'm just thinking about all these kids jumping and you're jumping and you and I were wearing kind of similar, you were wearing flat pedal that was clipped in, but you just had a, a regular helmet. Do you have, do you ask your clients to wear full face helmets or you're like, like, is there like a story behind this? Yes. That is a conversation that we had at our dinner table last night. Oh. I just got, we just got my boys who are nine and 12 and frankly, they're gnarly. Okay. They, they, yeah, you told me both of them can jump about, they hit jumps that are about 30 feet tabletop at Mount Bachelor. That's this epic. It's a huge jump that pros are doing backflips on. Wow. And that might last year. I guess he was eight. Oh God, that's hard to imagine. He was eight and he's almost clearing that. And it is massive. Like it scares me. They jump it better than I do. Don't tell anybody. I guess I just did. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but we had this conversation around the dinner table because we went to the jump line and my wife said, Hey, was Lucas wearing his full face? And I'm like, mm, no. And the idea is that, well, this is way in their wheelhouse, but you don't wear the full face in preparation for things that are in your wheelhouse in your wheelhouse, you can still crash. So I'm a big advocate of wearing a full face. The only problem with them is they're hot. I am. I oh. think kids wearing a full face is great. I only wear a full face riding bike park. I for sure wear it at Mount Bachelor, Snow Summit. I when I'm going to bike summit. Park. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I always do. And my kids for sure will. Um, but I'm a big advocate of getting a lighter um, airier full face helmet so that they'll wear it because they get hot. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they kind of struggle with and they don't always want to wear them. But we've had a few kids that have done face plants and had, you know, not haven't lost teeth or anything, but they have certainly um, had close calls. What about other protection? Like 
Elbow yeah, they were, I, I, I am terrible about that. Do as I say, not as I do. I <laughs> never wear pads. I'd be wearing them all day. So unless I'm riding Ted's, some other undisclosed locations, yeah. or bike park, I pretty much don't wear anything. Um, and I'm not trying to be a dirt jump kid, but it's like, oh, I can, but I don't crash that often. And I'm pretty used to skin donation as a part of the sport. <laughs> so I freely donate skin to the trail and, um, and that's worked out pretty well for me so far. I've had some bad road rash, mostly places like on your shoulder where I'm not going to wear a full flak jacket, but I will wear elbow pads and knee pads. Ted Williams, um, San Clemente, I did. We went up to San Clemente the other day and it was new trails for me. So I wore them there. Um, and it's a little bit of a bad example, but I, I tell most of the parents that have your kids wear pads, even if we're okay. out in Coyote Canyon, because the, the likelihood they're going to be sending the big jumps and most of the pads aren't going to prevent like a patella displacement or a broken arm. They're just going to limit the skin donation. That's it. And they'll, they'll, they'll keep some of the road rash to a minimum, but at the end of the day, they're not really designed to prevent breaks or anything else. They're just contusions and, and scrapes and never really shied away from those, which yeah. is probably not something that I should admit to. But... No, no, no. I was just curious because I had my, my thought was like, I'm not going to do anything I, I know I can't do, but then you're going down so fast, like some of the runs like summit and you're, and then I just, I don't know. I just wear one, but I, I just was curious what you had. Your yeah. And I think do. always that and speed is really the big ingredient. So, um, one of the things, the jumps that we saw, we call it bush pilot down in the canyon. It's a big step up. So you come into it, I'm guessing 25 to 28 miles an hour. It feels fast and you hit the jump and you apex, then you land at like six miles an hour. You can literally like just jump off your bike because it takes all the energy away. Huh. So jumps like that aren't as substantial on the consequence profile uh -huh. where Megatron, which is kind of a step down and you're hitting it, you're actually gaining speed as you land. Those are the ones where the full face, you have no control over how you land. The one other thing about um, my background with football and as I call them, violent land acquisition sports, I played lacrosse as oh, well. Oh, you learned how to fall? I, I fall really well. Okay. And I just have to not think. So if I think I'll hurt myself, like there's some crashes I've had that, how did I not get hurt? So you just tuck and roll. Yeah, I kind of tuck and roll. I just, you don't I throw turn into a hedgehog. And... No, I just, I think, <laughs> I think I do the hedgehog. I don't get to watch me crash. So I don't really know how that works. You but, get into a rolling pole but somehow like you learn how to brace yourself. And also I think your body gets good at, at tightening okay. and flexing because that, that muscle protects your scalp. Now I've, I've, I say bruised ribs. I think I broke them a couple of times, but, um, <laughs> that was just blunt trauma that you couldn't avoid. Um, yeah. but you know, those crashes are going to happen here and there and you want to keep them to a minimum. And I'm just really conscious. I, I don't really hold back a lot, but, um, if I'm not sure about something, we had to jump in San Clemente that one, my other, one of my riding partners and I, who I build with a lot and we build the bigger jumps and we were kind of the guinea pigs. We said there's this jump in San Clemente that we desperately wanted to do, but there was no one there. So understanding that speed uh, okay. and seeing someone do it first, I've seen it on video, but that has no bearing on understanding, hey, I'm breaking here. I needed a recipe. I'm 52. I don't need to show anybody that I, I'm a really good guinea pig. If I have to be the guinea pig, I will. But in those situations, like I have no dog in the fight of impressing anybody. Yeah. I, I want to stay healthy. I want to do this stuff and I don't want to hold back because I 
get a huge amount of joy from that endeavor of, you know, meeting your potential and yeah. finding it. And it's different for everybody. And so I've got to do me. So if, if me is a 20 foot step up, it's six feet above your head. So be it. Yeah. But if it's not, that's cool too. And so that was something that I do want to do a kind of aspirational feature for me that I'm like, that is gnarly. I want to try it, but I want to do it in a smart way. And that's yeah. something that Where I try to, um, it's just off, um, the North side of Camp Pendleton. You're literally yeah. looking at Camp Pendleton from there. And those trails are fantastic. Oh, yeah, that's... Really good jump lines. They're, they're cultivated properly. Like the, the, the speed through the jump lines resonates and you mm -hmm. kind of maintain the same speed and all the jumps fit together well. Yeah. So it's really well built and, yeah. and it's sanctioned. So it's on trail forks, it's all legal. And I'm like, man, that is fantastic. It's such a fun place to ride. I can't yeah. wait to go back. And the burrito wasn't bad either. Uh, yeah. At Sancho's, we went to Sancho's and it was, was like, what a perfect day. I was gonna say the burrito at the end with the cold beer. Yeah, it was that. spectacular. So, but I think the riding was a little better. Wow, I, the time has flew by today. I mean, us riding and talking, I'm, again, I can't believe I've never met you before. Uh, I feel like you're like my, my brother, like, We've lived parallel lives, and we. It's so cool, and I, I haven't even heard much of your story because I didn't get to interview you. Oh, well, that's another day. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know how how to finish this because I feel like we just got started. Um, and there was like three questions. One question, and I don't know if you can answer them all, is like, how did you get so good in three years? I don't know how that happened. And then the other one, and you, we maybe we can answer one now and later. Is and this is kind of like personally for me, my writing um, shows up in my life. Sometimes when I'm scared, I just say, look at the line. Where, where do you want to go? Like, don't look at what you don't want to go. That is a to. great concept. So, and there's a lot of things in my life, like just let it flow, like let go of the great breaks. Sometimes the breaks are your enemy. Like when, maybe that's a better question. Like, is there anything in writing that's helped you with life that you're like, you know, and it could, it's a little esoteric. It's no, like, you, you shared with me, how did you term it when we were riding up the trail? You said, um, I've always lived my life through physical activity. I, 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 I understand life better by my movement. Like movement yes. helps me put piece together the things that I can't, I, I don't understand. It just lets me understand it in a different way. Yeah. So I didn't know if that's like. I think, I think I've always existed that same way. So whether it was football when I was growing up or kayaking in my whitewater career. And we talked about those oh, kind of yeah. golden periods of your life where I feel like my football career was one of them, which is very strange because I think if you know me, you might think I was a football player, but probably wouldn't. Um, and then my whitewater career with kayaking and guiding, that was the connection with people that I just loved so much. And then now this, um, this whole journey into mountain biking has just been mind blowing. But I think the thing that really resonates is I really see the world through that lens too where it's through my body movements and what I'm doing physically. And so the trail building, like that was my happy place. All these trails that I've worked on and built are, they were done in the dark and it was four to seven in the morning, but I'm that person that needs a singular intensity to do things and wow. to really um, feel satisfied with what I've done. And so in those twilight hours with a headlamp on, it is completely absurd. And I understand that, but I was so happy. There's no phone ringing. There's no texting. There were no demands. And all it required was being disciplined about waking up. 
and then I could be out there and do my thing and really focus into the question about riding for three years and that progression for me is I just devoured it. I just yeah. jumped in with both feet and I paid attention to everything that was going on. I read everything. I watched YouTube videos. I learned by working on my bike and really dissecting and working on everything at the same time really helped me that genesis of understanding the machine, understanding how my body works, and then just riding. But for me, it was, and it always is, and I share this with all the athletes that I work with, whether I'm coaching baseball, soccer, football, whatever it is, dude, you can't, you gotta have intensity. You gotta bring it. If you're not bringing it, I don't know what to you do with do, you. Right. And so I've always known how to do that. Yeah. And that I think has been one of the keys is just that once I decided I was going to ride, I got the bit in my teeth and just started running and had great, amazing riders and enthusiasm around riding around me. Um, the riding crew that I have, I give you 20 names of people that I think you should interview just because they're awesome people yeah. and their, their riding experience and the genesis of, of their interest and in, in their skills. Um, it's kind of infused with the same thing, which is just intensity and enthusiasm and loving being on the trail. But for me, being out there with people and not having it as solitary, because I can be a monk, I can walk a rut <laughs> like nobody's business. I can just trudge through that rut and keep doing it. But the joy for me is yeah. in sharing it with people. And that stoke is such a funny word because it's so cliche. But it is the yeah. word, it's like a fire. Yeah. You give it oxygen and it's those people. So those rides I told you that I protect very much with my family. They're like, dad, you're gone Wednesday and Friday mornings, every Friday and you have sessions. My sessions, I have a 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. session. The other three days of the main part of the week and then I ride personally with my same people on Wednesdays and Fridays, but I really protect those and I want to do that every week because that's the oxygen that fuels our community and keeps that stoke going. And it's that we rely on each other and that we're there to, I, I want to watch my buddy, Jimmy. I want to watch Scott. I want to watch Kevin. I want to watch Jeff. I want to watch them all send Megatron and send Bush pilot. And we're doing it together. Like I said, a bunch of 10 year olds and 40 to 50 year old bodies. Uh, I, that is awesome. I think that's a great, like a capsule for it. And I think it's also interesting. And I, again, I feel like we would talk forever is that gravel, is getting so big. Yeah. You know, my background comes from mountain biking and playing in the dirt. And so um, it's nice to know there's a there there's mountain biking still a thing, like yeah. growing. I mean, I know the neck is huge, there's a lot of people on bikes in, in the teenage years, but I think what you're doing is fantastic and uh, makes me feel good because my gravel skills are good because of my mountain bike skills but my mountain bike skills suck now because I've been graduating so much. <laughs> well, I you kid know you not. I, yeah. And I told myself, you got to get it. I tell like every, every Tuesday, I call it dirty Tuesday because I force myself just go ride your bike to see where your skills are at and session yeah. session. What you, so you, and I don't know. I just pulled that back because I was like, where's mountain biking? Where, what happened to it? Well, the thing that's really interesting for me is there's always somebody gnarlier. And there's yeah. always something to learn from somebody and you always meet some terrain wrote some recently. I think one of the things you often ask people is from listening to your podcast is what are your favorite trails? What are your favorite trails? Those that shall not be spoken about. Okay. But I've recently written some that as a trail builder, 
I was completely blown away by how meticulous, how careful these trails were put together. They might be in San Marcos Vista area. I don't know. They might be. And um, the commitment that it took in the years and years of building that it took, it's just humbling. And so writing stuff like that, that puts you right at the edge of your skills and then seeing where there are riders all over San Diego. San Diego is one, I think one of the great places to ride mountain bikes because there are all these pockets of really gnarly terrain that are kind of locals only. And I'm now after three years, just starting to discover some of these and just making the connections with riders that know them. And so I just feel like there is endless road and endless challenge to be had. And the goal is just to keep healthy and keep doing it and keep that progression going. But I just find new riders all the time that we're just sharing. And I go out to this jump line and I meet all these, these other folks and the appreciation that they have for the building that I've done. Um, and the features that, that we've created as a community here, it's not just me and even my groms, we do building rides, we do digging rides with my groms and they love it. And, um, so they're really proud. We cultivated this jump line and we rebuilt all the takeoffs and landings one by one by one as a project together. I bet you the parents love you. Oh, it was, it, it's the most incredible thing because they own it. Yeah. It's not like it's something that existed. We've built it together and them just as much as me. And so um, the, the different angles that we've been able to pull in to this community are, I think it's just kind of mind blowing. And it's all been organic where you just react to what's in front of you. It's kind of that yeah. instinct as well. Like, hey, oh my gosh, well, that road just opened up. Well, let's go to these kids want to build. I can't have them build with me here, but let's do this together. And then we go to Sky Park and then we'll probably go to Snow Summit in the fall and we'll be, they've, they've grown and now we have access to different terrain. Yeah. And I just, there just seems to be no end to where, where we can take it. So, and these kids, as they get bigger and stronger and are able to, one, we got to get them pedaling a little more. I'll be honest. <laughs> the one thing I want to work on, one of my goals for this year is get them more comfortable pedaling uphill. So okay. the enduro racing is a good avenue for that. Yeah. yeah as, as, as a um, one other thing, the competition, I fully support that. And I want to be more supportive of enduro racing in particular because the Nike is there and I want them to do that. And maybe I'll be a little more involved in their skill training. But with my riders that are in Delser Dirt, um, we've got a couple that raced last weekend and they're doing great and they love it. And it's not a lot of them yet, but I think there's going to be some inspiration that comes from these older riders mm-hmm. doing it. And I think we're going to start blending a little bit of racing into what we do. I just need to have the time available on the weekends yeah. to support that and to do it myself. I want to race myself yeah. and watch the kids. We're going to race the same course and they're going to be like, hey, coach, I'm faster than you. <laughs> which is my dream. I can't wait till you guys are faster than me. I already yeah. have one that's probably going to blow my mind when, when we race enduro together. It's going to be like. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, big kudos to you for doing what you're doing. And I know I'll see, I know I'll see you again. And oh so yeah. We're, 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 we're we got, we got some stuff to take care of. We got yeah. Costa and, um, and you know, you got to help me and show me a little bit of what you do, which was great to be on the receiving end of a, yeah. a skills coach. And so, you know, someone just watching you and focus on you is really makes it makes you it made me feel good. So you oh, do a wonderful. great job. You're a wonderful coach. And um, thank you for, for being on my on a guest. This is wonderful. I'm humbled to be here. Some of the, I look at some of the guests you've had. And I'm like, all right, I'm just that guy in Del Sur. 
Um, but I think one of the main thing to leave people with is the thing that you just said, like the one thing that I always try and do in every endeavor is inspire people. That's the number one thing as a coach that you need to do. And I think that's one of the things I tell my boys always that I'm most proud of in my sporting career was not all American status or any of those things. Those are external. Those are other people saying, yeah, good for you. But what mattered to me most is every year from like eighth grade till I graduated college, being the most inspirational player that your teammates vote on. And not because you were good, but because you cared and because you were busting your butt every day. That's the part that I think is really important for people to walk away with is effort is something everybody can do. Absolutely. And so keep it going, everybody. Yeah, well... There you go. Well, you are very, very unique and um, a gift person. So, all right. Well, thank yeah. you so much for yeah. having me on the on the podcast. Yeah. All right, that's a wrap. What a fun and honest conversation with a cool guy. I was left inspired as a writer and as a coach, and look forward to running with Jim and show him some of the local dirt here in La Costa and near Double Peak. I've always loved skills, but he definitely infused passion to continue to spread the word on skills and work on my own. And just to be transparent, I do have good downhill skills, but I don't know how to gap jump, and I'm truly motivated to learn. Thank you for listening to Local Legends and this conversation with Jim. Have a rad day.